I'm Alan Barr, and this is Radio Free RPG. Welcome to Radio Free RPG. I'm your host, Alan Barr, and I'm joined by artist, game designer, and game writer, Amanda Call. Hi, Amanda. Hello. Thanks for having me, Alan. It's my pleasure. Amanda and I go back several years where we've been involved in actual plays, uh, streaming online, mostly on Victory Condition Gaming, uh, as well as Amanda has done some art for various projects for my company, Gallant Night Games. Mm-hmm. So Amanda, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, so I am a freelance illustrator, mostly for tabletop games. I'm also a self-published comic artist and writer, creator. Um, I've been working in the tabletop gaming industry as an illustrator for like 12, 13 years, something like that. I don't remember precisely when I started. It's been a while. You're you're an illustrator. You don't, you're not here to do math, right? (laughs) No, exactly. (laughs) So uh, where, where is most of your work found if folks wanted to look at some of the art you've done? Uh, so my webcomic is available online at ageofnight.com, and that's spelled like the time of day, not like the guy in the armor. Not like Gallant Knight. But <laughs> Too many nights. <laughs> Too many nights. It's confusing. Um, I also have a portfolio site, which is woefully out of date, although I actually have that on my to-do list for this weekend is updating it. So maybe by the time people hear this, it'll be up to date. <laughs> Probably. But, I'm not but- very quick either. <laughs> That's at amandacallart.com. I keep that pretty simple. Excellent. And if I recall correctly, a majority of your RPG art comes out through Skirmisher Publishing. That yes. is correct. Yes. they. I've had the longest term relationship with Skirmisher out of everybody in the tabletop gaming industry. They were the second, first or second company to ever hire me. I think it was like them and Guerrilla Games were about at the exact same time almost, but they were one of my very first companies that I ever started working with. And we've had a beautiful relationship ever since. And at this point I'm part of the, I'm, I'm more than just an illustrator for that company at this point. I'm part of the core uh, development group. We have like weekly meetings where we work on play testing and writing and design and development. So that's a, it, it's more like a, that company tends to be more like an actual like game design collective <laughs> than a place that just hires me so well that's that's a wonderful position to be in yeah it's really cool i really appreciate it I appreciate having that kind of friendship and that kind of like really reliable steady stream of work because no matter what else comes up anytime that i finish something for skirmisher there's always something else ready to go well, that's great so uh let's let's talk about illustration yeah so arguably uh, more than anything, when it comes to tabletop role-playing games, an illustration is the first thing somebody's going to encounter. Right. It's on the cover. You can see it from a distance before you can see the title a lot of the time, before yeah. you can see a designer's name. The art is that first impression. And I know they say don't judge a book by its cover, but we all do it, and People we all know do. we do it. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> uh, so, art is... The first impression an RPG is going to give somebody. So right. let's discuss what you have learned over these 
little more than a decade in right. determinate amount yep. of time. Um, what do you have learned about the art of RPG illustration? So what do you think about when you illustrate? We'll start with the cover. Let's talk about a cover. Covers are like uh, entirely, I, I don't, I honestly don't do a ton of covers. It's a very high pressure type job as far as illustration goes. Um, I imagine. Because, yeah, because it is, you want to be selling the whole game. You want to be selling mm-hmm. um, what this game is going to give you for an experience. So you're kind of trying to capture like the entire tone of what, what is this game supposed to be for the players? And to a certain extent, that's what you have to do with everything. You're trying to represent, like, what is, what does the game designer want you to imagine? What is this world that you are going to be playing in or the experiences that you're trying to evoke? Everything has to do that when you're illustrating for games. But a cover specifically, it's like you have to get all of, you can't just get a little piece here and there. You have to get, like, here's the broad strokes. Here's the entire, like, I want you to see this game and immediately think this. So... In your sort of uh, position at Skirmisher Publishing as part of their collective high mind of game generation, <laughs> uh, are do you handle the art direction as the trained artist? Are you the only trained artist in the group? Is there more than one? Um, so I'm the only person with an actual art like background, like art education background. Okay. I do actually, I did actually get an art degree. What? And you turned it into a job, the thing they <laughs> said I, we could never do. Right? <laughs> Look at you. Uh, yeah. No, I do actually, I, I do actually have an art degree and I'm the only one with an art background, but thankfully, um, everyone, everyone there usually, whatever they're like writing, they usually have a certain amount of autonomy of art direction on okay. it. Okay. Of like on their individual is, product. Right, right. Okay. So it's it's usually like, okay, well, this is what I'm doing. I want it to have this kind of tone. And for anything that I end up illustrating, then a lot of the decisions of how to achieve that gets deferred to me. There's not really a lot of direction that comes from that. It's just like, well, this is what I'm gotcha. going for. And then I will do my best to execute that. And then we kind of go into just the feedback and refining process from there. Um a lot of the like product design and direction and that sort of thing, uh, Mike Varhola does a lot of that, uh, and Brenda Cast does a lot of that too. They're the ones okay. who are in charge of a lot of the like marketing sure. and layout and technical stuff for the company. Okay, so uh, you also do freelance illustration work for other companies. Yep. So you, part of the goal of Radio Free RPG is to highlight the individuals who might not get as much attention in the tabletop gaming space. Um, and you know, artists and the designers are the, probably the two people who get the most attention because they're the most visible, Mm -hmm. but let's talk about the sort of the unsung heroes of art and that would be art direction, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Which is a very sort of project management behind the scenes role, but is very difficult to do. And it's very difficult to learn. Yes. (laughs) So. When I started uh, 10 years ago in game design, I had never art directed. I had never told an artist what I want. I had no idea there was a set way to communicate mm-hmm. or best practices. And I sort of stumbled my way through that learning as I went. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about that concept of art direction. 
both as an artist and with me as a, a publisher who also serves as the art director for majority of my products, uh, what makes for good art direction? I think that's the simplest question we can ask. Yeah. So, I mean, communication is obviously the biggest thing. Being clear, uh, getting as much as much information up front as possible as far as what your expectations are and what you are looking for. Um, but then also whatever you're doing, trying to make it constructive as far as your, what you're communicating, trying to make it constructive and actionable. So I think probably the most frustrating thing I ever find when trying to communicate with anyone is when you're like, okay, well, here's the, you show somebody a piece that you're working on. Here's what I have. And they say, uh, yeah, I, it's not, it's not really working for me. Okay. But like how? Sure. <laughs> I don't know. It's just not. Mm, that's not actionable. I don't know what to do now. <laughs> sure. That's it's a critique with nothing to follow through on. Right. Right. So for an art director who in the world of indie publishing is probably not a trained artist, mm -hmm. uh, or if they are, it might not be their primary skill set. Right. Um, a lot of the terms artists use can be confusing. Yes. <laughs> I understand what a pencil is. I understand what <laughs> paint is. And I know how to make a line with a ruler. There you go. So if you need really straight stick figures, I can handle that. Um, one thing I've started doing is using a uh, like a Photoshop or Ill Illustrator analog. I will do a quick stick figure sketch of sort of how I see the composition. Yes. And kind of just block it out really roughly, poorly drawn, right? Yes. You know, person goes here, monster goes here. Oh my gosh. And you know what? Like occasionally I get those and people are always like, oh, I'm sorry. This is like probably a really insulting, lousy sketch. And I'm like, no, you're my favorite person in the world right now. This is a million times better than you giving me a bunch of vague verbal directions or written directions that would not ever result in me producing something like what you are actually envisioning by showing me this stick figure. <laughs> so I assume the assumption of over communicate because you can always ask them to clarify or pair it back is probably a good starting position for a potential art director. Yeah. I, I think that, so part of a, so part of thing, there is a little bit of a balance because you do want to allow, you want to trust your artist to come up with something. That's why you're hiring them. You right. do also want to keep in mind if you're not a if you're not an artist sometimes one of the things that even even a lot of artists fall into is you're trying to execute more than one idea at once okay and so people will say i want this illustration and i want this thing that thing and that thing happening in it they tell you like half a dozen different things they all want happening in like a quarter page illustration <laughs> and some of them sure. are openly contradictory and and that's also just a lot to be going on in a small illustration and so i think that you know figuring out what's the the most important thing like what is the okay. most important thing you want in this illustration like this has to has to get across this information has to include this type of character with this type of equipment and it i want it to evoke this type of mood they need to be doing this particular thing and then including other references as far as like touchstones of touchstones of mood of style um if you have like particular 
if you have particular things that need to look a certain way, include reference if you have it. Like I love when people send me like their Pinterest, you know, vision boards sure. or whatever for their project where they're okay. like, this is this is the vibe that I like or I like this character. I like this character's style of armor, but, you know, do your own riff on it. You know, right. giving those jumping off points of like, this is the vein of what I'm looking for. Now, please do what you do with that. Sure. So one thing I have sort of learned as an ad hoc rule and this probably isn't a real rule, but I try to limit the subject or action when I do an art piece to one scene or sort of individual yes. per quarter page. Yes. And that I is, find that that tends to work okay. That That is a good rule. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's, so, a, that's a really but, good rule, like I said, of simplifying your idea. Because right. you, sure. you can't cram that much information into a small space. <laughs> no, I, I see some of these comic book covers with all these characters on them. And I'm like, that looks so hard to do. Right. Well, right. it doesn't. It doesn't read very well. Like the person who right. is viewing it, they're they have that's so much information for them to try to parse visually. It doesn't come across as clearly, and it doesn't have the same kind of impact. Right. So thinking about comics and RPGs, which you you do both. Yeah. Now you said you were an illustrator for Age of Night, but don't you also? Write yes. it? Yes. I write and draw Age of Night. I uh at this point, Age of Night is a one person show. <laughs> so you do all the lettering, you do, yeah, I do the uploads, all of it. I, I do everything. Um I have a friend who helps me maintain my website. Like he mm -hmm. he built the structure for me, and when something breaks, I go, uh, help me. Sure. Um, <laughs> but but I do all the the other like uploading i do i write the whole thing i draw the whole thing um i do the let all the lettering it's done entirely traditionally too so all the lettering wow. is actually done right on the boards um but it, i did have a collaborator really early on in the process the creative okay. process where i had uh my friend matt woodle was helped me to develop the initial concept and we had envisioned it being a collaborative project so we developed the initial concept together and developed like some of the basics of the world and the characters and wrote like the first chapter. And as soon as I started actually drawing pages, he was just like, uh, no, nah, I'm good. I don't really want to do this. <laughs> well, at least which he is, realized his bandwidth early. Right. Yeah. Which I appreciate. I didn't like rely on him being a part of the actual production process. And then he bowed out. So I, I still acknowledge his contribution in every like, on the website and in every sure. uh, printed volume of like, yeah, he was part of the concept development, but I, I never actually involved with the actual uh, making of pages and hasn't been involved with the writing since the very beginning. So, so you said you work entirely in a physical medium for age of night. Yes, For age of night. Now for RPGs, do you do those, all the illustrations entirely physical too, or do you do a mix of digital and traditional so I always draw and ink everything traditionally. Everything okay. is drawn on paper and inked on paper. Wow. Yep. And uh, I've never gotten used to actually drawing digitally. I don't like it. <laughs> the tactile response, yes. I assume. Yes, yeah. I've heard the, that. 
yeah, the whole tactile thing of it, I just don't, I just don't like it. I don't enjoy it. Um, so I, I do a lot of digital coloring primarily because that's what clients will request because they want, they, they want that look. I always offer if you want something in color and I do a lot of black and white work. So sometimes it is fully traditional because I'm just doing it in ink anyway. Um, but I do always offer if someone wants something in full color, I can do it digitally or I can do it traditionally. I am comfortable finishing it either way. And I show them examples of both and then they let me know what they prefer. So do you find one to be faster to work with digital versus traditional? Um, it depends on what I'm doing. I've, I've gotten faster at digital at this point. Um, okay. Just cause you don't have the limitations of like, if I'm, <laughs> if I'm coloring something in uh, like on paper, I have to actually like physically take my hand and fill in every space. Sure. <laughs> Whereas on a computer, I can just be like, click, select. The flood <laughs> tool. <click>. Boop. <laughs> fill. <laughs> I suppose that does um, seem faster. Right. Uh, and, and then, uh, you know, if, if I'm working in like a wet medium, I have to wait mm-hmm. for stuff to dry sure. <laughs> at different points. And so I it can, suppose it can be edits, are, edits are probably easier digitally too. If they're like, we yes. need you to tweak the color, you can just go right. change that. Exactly. And actually that, uh, doing that actually informed the way that I do all of my digital coloring work at this point when I was okay. still not very, when I was still like not at all good at digital coloring, <laughs> but people were asking me to do it. I had a whole methodology that was not, that was very slow and was not very conducive to edits. And then at a certain point, um, someone was like, Hey, I want to have you do like this, an illustration of this character, but I'm going to use them as like sprites almost where I'm going to just reuse them a bunch of times, but I want them in different colors. So take that same character and then just like change their armor color a bunch of different ways very mortal combat for those right, of you who right. want a dated reference for <laughs> color swapped palettes um and so then i i developed like a completely different way of coloring in order to make that easier and that's now what i use all the time and it goes a lot faster so wow and it ended up working i until i had started publishing it was doing my own quote-unquote art direction, uh, I did not realize all the steps and work that go into making art. Oh, gosh, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I took art classes in high school and middle school, and I was a decent drawer, artist. That's the word. Wow. <laughs> I'm a drawer. professional podcaster, folks. It's dra- not. The- drawer. drawer. I'm a writer. I know words. <laughs> Whew. Uh And so, well, I experimented with those mediums and I was competent for, you know, somebody who only did it for class for two semesters a year. Right. right. Um, The the way art is produced in a class versus how art is produced for the real world or sort of commercial or physical consumption is very different. Oh, yeah. There are things to consider like ink coverages and what colors are printable. Yep. And those aren't things a lot of people who aren't artists know about or think about or consider. Right. And that's, I, th- I think something that I run into occasionally is from, from an art direction standpoint mm-hmm. that I find frustrating is that I'll ask people like, what are the specs for this image? Sure. When I'm creating it, like what, 
and and by which I mean what size do you want it? What aspect ratio do you want it? Because it doesn't make sense for me to produce something at to, to produce something at like the size of a standard sheet of paper, eight and a half by eleven, if you're going to reproduce it in the book as an image that's going to end up being like a one inch square. Sure. That makes no sense. Because whatever right. I do, a lot of that detail is going to be lost. The composition probably won't lend itself to being that small. Um, It'll look muddied because it's too detailed. Right, because it's too detailed for the size that it is. So when I and and sometimes I'll ask, like, you know, specifically, what size is this going to be reproduced sure. at? Like, how big is it going to be? What aspect ratio is it? Like, is it you know two by f- is it like a factor of like two by three? Is it mm-hmm. a square? Is it one by one? Like what, what is that? And a lot of times people will give you answers that are, they think are helpful <laughs> and they're not. <laughs> not to uh, call anyone out, but do you have a, a anonymous example of something like that maybe? Um, yeah. So I've gotten people that'll be like, oh yeah, it's a, it's a full page illustration. Okay. And I'm like, which I would assume is a, like a letter size right an 8.5 by 11 portrait sure that's a reasonable assumption and then they stick it in a nine by six book okay which smaller but you probably won't lose as much detail as if they'd gone even smaller nine by six is not the same aspect ratio three by one (sighs) ratio or one by three or two by three sorry it'd be two by three right whereas a letter size is not right what the three-quarter aspect ratio roughly yeah yeah so that's i and so it warps it or else you have bleed and you lose the edges right they have to crop it weird or they have to put like a little white or black bar at the top or bottom or whatever stuff like that happens all the time and sometimes it's that and i try to if i'm actually involved in the production and project planning Mm -hmm. stage then i try to figure out really early on like we need to decide early on what is the final form factor we're working with here? Because sure. everything visual is going to have to be built off of that. That makes sense. Yeah. So and that sort of thing. And also a file, oh, file, file formatting. That's a fun one too. Are we talking like, if, is it a JPEG? Is it a TIF? Right. A TIF? Is right. that what TIF. you would say? Yeah. TIF. A TIF. Because I'll ask people like, hey, what do you want for a file? And they're like, uh, you know, just send me a file. And I'm like, but what do you. <laughs> want for a file like so historically i use (laughs) i've used tiffs um for people who scan in their art for some digital art we get like uh uh, adobe illustrator files or whatever which we can export as right right like a jpeg or a png or right all of which seem to work as long as the resolution is fine which to me would seem to be the key case would be the resolution more than the actual file extension yeah, well, and it depends too. Like, what are you going to be putting it into? Like, what sure. program are you using to edit this on your end? Like, I don't know what you're doing on your end, buddy. You sure. got to tell me. <laughs> Which makes sense. Whereas, you know, for example, I use the Affinity Suite of mm-hmm. tools because they're a one time purchase. I'm not a professional. So I need something I can use, but I don't need to pay for something on an ongoing basis. Right. Um, and so I can open things like AI files or I can make edits to JPEGs or TIFFs or PNGs. But if I was using something like GIMP, G-I-M-P, which is a very common freeware uh, image editing program, it doesn't do all of those things. Right. And the, and that's exactly the thing. And then sometimes, too, like they'll um, people will try to do stuff 
do stuff with images that they don't let me know they're going to try to do with them. And then they just <sighs> come back and tell me, oh, it didn't work. Because they'll be like, oh, well, I wanted to take this character and just have them like free floating on like a on like a colored background. And but then they don't they don't tell me that. So I don't provide them with a transparent file, like a transparent uh -huh. background file. And then they either come back and are like, uh, it didn't work or they try to transparentify it themselves and they butcher my illustration. <laughs> and then sure. no one's happy. <laughs> Which makes sense. So as an artist uh, in a freelance position like this, would you prefer that the commissioner of the work, generally a publisher, I will assume, right. uh, ask you these questions that they don't know? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I've, okay. I'm always happy. Like, I know some people get kind of testy about like, ah, ah, you're a professional too. You should know what's going on. I'm like, no, I, not everybody knows everything. I have blind spots when it comes to technical stuff, especially. There's stuff that I just don't, I don't know. I don't know sure. about technical things. Uh, there's plenty of th places where my knowledge base is not that thorough. And the best way to find out is is to ask. And if it's right. something that I know the answer to and I understand better than you do, I'm happy to help and make your life easier. Because the other thing is that most people in the game design, like the level of game design industry that we operate in, most of us are not like full-time professionals doing this. Most of us do not have, I mean, you are, but <laughs> you are, I guess, arguably I am. Uh, but, but a You're lot as of, much as I am probably. Uh, probably. <laughs> uh, a lot of people, this is not the thing that they have primarily sure. developed as far as their skills go. A lot of them right. have other completely unrelated day jobs sure. a lot of them have completely unrelated backgrounds and so you know i don't expect someone whose day job is as an english teacher to understand sure. everything about image formatting like because there's right. no reason for them to right like that's not a thing that would have come up in their everyday life before trying to embark on this project <laughs> which makes sense so if somebody wanted to learn uh, about this, at least to be, you know, conversationally proficient with the artists they're working with, let's say, what would be some good resources? I imagine there's YouTube channels that might have information. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Are there books? Like, where should they be looking? I mean, a lot of that kind of stuff, you can find um, a lot of resources available as far as, like you said, video YouTube videos, lots of people upload different YouTube videos on how to use these different programs. Um, a lot of the work that I did on my YouTube channel was actually about effective communication with artists, but okay. I, don't I don't update my YouTube channel anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe you should do a once per year like rehash or wrap up <laughs> right <laughs> of common terms like for example dpi i didn't know dpi i didn't understand right. how it relates to printing or the difference yep. between rgb and cymk yeah i think which poor the... listener if you don't know what these mean oh, it's okay i probably couldn't tell okay. you if put you put me on the spot oh i love rgb versus cmyk because i love getting into like the the deep wild weeds of like uh, so, how how uh you know the actual like science right. of light and color works and how it's not how you think it does 
So DPI is easy. That's resolution or dots per square inch. So when right. you have a 4K TV, it's referring to DPI. Right. And so the higher resolution, the more DPI. Pretty yes. easy. Yes. Um, generally for print, you want a 300 DPI print file because yes. that is what gives you the best sort of printing on the paper. Right. Higher is sort of wasted. Lower can come out looking fuzzy or muddy. So RGB stands for red, blue, and green, and it's a yes. printing method for ink coverage nope. or like blending colors. Nope. No. R what is it? R RGB is, or RBG is, is the, uh, is the way that light behaves. That's the light. Those are the primary for primary for right. light mixing. So that's what you see on your computer screen. So if something's in RBG, that's that's the color that you're going to see on a computer screen, on a phone screen. Okay. Those colors, a lot of those colors only exist in light. They are not reproducible in pigment. And so some of your like really bright neon greens and blues, especially. Sure you can't actually produce those in pigment. They will only look that way on a computer screen. And so they're great for PDF-only publications, but you, if you want something to be printed, you have to work in and convert your file to CMYK, which, which stands I think I know for... Which Cyan, stands for, yellow, yep. maroon, and black? Oh, you were so close. Magenta. Uh. Magenta. Magenta. Uh, aren't maroon and magenta the same? Can you tell they, I'm not an artist? Because I assume they they're the same. Super not. <laughs> All right. See, I got nothing. I know nothing, folks. <laughs> this is why I'm a writer or not Mag a drawer. Magenta is like a hot purpley pink. And okay. maroon is like a dark brownish the, the, red. The, the, yeah, the dark brownish red. Fair enough. <laughs> so C uh C Y M K is the printing. Yes. color mix you'd want to use because those are the inks that are used those are to the form inks, the colors. Yeah, that are used in those are the inks that are used in printing. Those are okay. the primary colors for printing. And so adding this... those together on top mm -hmm. of a white background is how you get all of the colors that are possible to be printed. And gotcha. that's why it's important if you know that work is going to be printed that you work in CMYK even from the very beginning because otherwise you're like, ah, yes, this looks wonderful. And then you go to print it and it doesn't look at all the same because you used colors that don't physically exist sure. in printing. <laughs> and I assume just, for example, exporting your file into CYMK would adjust it, but it's not as good as the art being there from the start because exactly. it makes the conversion and you lose some of that. Exactly. Vibrancy. Because... Right. Well, you lose some of the vibrancy in because if you were making decisions like design and mm -hmm. color theory decisions based on those colors in in RBG that can't be reproduced in CMYK, you're actually like you might end up with something that actually looks completely different that may not harmonize as well that may not just look duller, but may actually just not work the way that you had hoped it would. Interesting. Yeah. See, and these bummer. are the things I don't know. Right. So. <laughs> When an artist asks me, I'm just like, it's full color. It's going to uh, be printed. I don't know. Just do your thing, artist. But you know what? Telling them it's going to be printed is still great. That's great information yeah. to have. Excellent. So, you know, we, we've talked a lot about art, um, but you also do writing. So let's talk about writing. Unlike myself, who is only a writer and not a drawer. Uh, not a drawer. <laughs> I'm just going to use that the rest of this. So the... Um, the word drawer is spelled the same as 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 drawer, like a in, oh. a, in a desk. 
D-R-A-W-E-R. Mm. And so whenever someone says that, I think of a, a drawer hmm. on a desk well, or a cabinet. Maybe I won't be using that anymore. Draftsman. <laughs> there we go. Is the word um, for a person who draws. <laughs> that's probably a better word. Although I do like the absurdity of drawer. <laughs> um, so let's talk about writing. So you both write a comic, but you also do writing for RPGs. Yes. I might start crying if we talk about writing. <laughs> no, we don't have to. My no, goal no, is not to have you on here to hear, uh... but have everybody hear you weep. So. <laughs> no, I'm in the middle of writing an adventure and oh. writing the next chapter for my comic. And I'm struggling. <laughs> it is. They are com- I, I've written a comic uh, and I've written many RPGs and they are completely different skill sets in many, many so important ways. very different. So very different. So what do you, what do you find is transferable between the two mediums and what do you find isn't? Uh, very little is transferable between oh. them. <laughs> okay. Um, so, I mean, I guess the thing is, like, just approaching this the, from a storytelling mm-hmm. perspective, they're both different forms of storytelling. Sure. You still need to have a clear um, goal as far as what you want the audience to experience in mind in either of them. You you have, like, a go- you have a story that you're trying to get them to get through. You have, um, you know, an emotional arc you want to take mm-hmm. them on. And what you want them to experience, but the ways that you achieve that are of course going to be completely different between the two. And so the most important thing to keep in mind in both of them is what am I trying to achieve here? What is the experience I want the audience to have? But you know, from there they're, they're two very different. (laughs) Sure. Two very different experiences because like in an RPG, it's like, okay, well I I have these, these road marks laid out for you, these landmarks laid out for you. And I have the different places you're going to go, but what you're going to do when you get there and how you're going to experience that and what decisions you're going to make and which direction that leads you in from there. That's a not in my control. <laughs> right. Whereas you can make your comic characters do whatever you want. Exactly. Players I make obligated to that. No, I make my my comic characters do precisely what I want them to do to an extent. Occasionally they're like, no, we're not doing that. That's not what we do. (laughs) So uh, speaking of art and writing, you a while ago, at least a year, probably more, posted a comic on Facebook called um, Xenozoic, I believe. Oh, yes. Xenozoic. Which I went out and bought based on your recommendation and read and loved sitting on it's my shelf in the next so room. Good. It's, it's so fantastic. Good. And now you said the writer illustrator uh, was yes. a teacher or a mentor of some sort. Right. So Mark Schultz, who did Xenozoic Tales, um, also known as Cadillacs and Dinosaurs, yes. <laughs> which tells you everything you need to know about it. <laughs> um Mark Schultz, uh, he was a frequent guest at the Savannah College of Art and Design where I got my degree. So they had like um, they would have different events throughout the year where they would bring in different professionals to like 
you know, offer like offer workshops and do Mm -hmm. um, portfolio reviews and that kind of thing. And Mark Schultz was a very frequent guest. He was at several of these. And so I did get to take several of his workshops. He was always extremely kind and extremely generous with his, you know, with his advice and very like patient and very encouraging. Um, And I got to do a portfolio review with him. And the thing with portfolio reviews when you're a student being reviewed by professionals, and I understand this a lot more now being a professional and looking back on some of my student work, is that it's like there's only so much they're really going to be able to tell you because you're still you still have so much learning to do. Like you still are not as far along in the journey as nowhere near as far as they are, but you're not really at a professional level, even like a beginner professional level yet when you're still in school. And so a lot of their advice that you get from professionals when you're doing these portfolio reviews is very rote. (laughs) It's very much like, oh, well, you need to make sure that you're, uh, you know, practicing your anatomy more. And it's like, yes, thank you. Uh, I have heard this many times. (laughs) That was maybe not as valuable as it could have been. Uh, But Mark Schultz was really great in that he looked through my portfolio and he said, he's like, well, you know that you need to practice just drawing more you need to practice you know anatomy perspective all this stuff he's like you know that already you've heard that a million times i'm like you're right i have (laughs) but then he was like oh but you're specifically wanting to work primarily in ink which is what he did like that's his primary right primary mode of of uh his primary medium and so he offered me a lot of like took a couple of my pieces and pointed out specific things that I was doing and offered me a lot of really tailored advice about how I could control the composition better and how I could okay. like how I could like actually use uh different different inking techniques to enhance the compositions and to enhance like the wow. d- way that I directed a viewer's eye around a composition and I was like oh my gosh actual really good feedback thank you Mr. Schultz <laughs> That's great. Yeah, uh, he did end up coming back to SCAD and actually teaching for a quarter, but that was after I had graduated. Um, okay. So I did ask to uh, sit in on one of the classes. Like I just sent him an email and was like, hey, do you mind if I just sit in on a class? And he's like, yeah, sure, no problem. Uh, so I sat in on a class where he was doing like a watercolor demonstration for that class, I think. And it was really good. He was still really, really awesome. And I learned a lot just in that watercolor demonstration <laughs> of like, an hour more than I had ever learned messing around with watercolors on my own. Um, and then afterwards I showed him uh, my first book, my first volume of age of night. I was like, Oh, Hey, yeah. I think I gave him a copy of it. I was like, yeah, you can have this. Um, you know, you were really encouraging to me several years ago when I, he did a portfolio review and he looked, he flipped through it and he's like, Oh yeah, I remember this. That's so cool to see that you actually finished the first book of it. I was like, Oh, great. You, you remembered me. Yeah. For those of you who haven't read Xenozoic, uh, Mark's art is this very heavy black and white ink style. It's very reminiscent to me of early Frazetta or yes. uh, Alex Raymond. Yes, his kind of his, that Hal uh, Foster. Yes, his drawing style has a lot of a lot of similarities with that, and uh, his ink. He has a lot of really heavy black and white ink, but he also does a fair amount of dry brushing to give it. Uh, a little bit more like softness and depth in some places it's It's a very evocative visual style it's gorgeous (laughs) yes xenozoic was uh a revelation i was very glad i picked it up off your recommendation because it sits on my comic shelf and i refer to it frequently so 
Uh, that was uh, folks go read Xenozoic if you get the chance. It's worth. Yes, it. you can get a, a like a full uh, omnibus compilation of it from Flesk Publishing, and it's it's so good. That is what I got. <laughs> yes, the big thick like brown covered one. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I love it. So uh, we're coming up on time here, Amanda. But I have a couple more questions. One is going to put you on the spot. Nothing malicious, but what is a question you've always wanted to be asked in an interview that you've never been asked? We all have these questions we like answering, but nobody ever asks us. I know I do. So what is yours? No, my brain does this thing where if you ask me a direct question like that, I can't think of it. Oh, fair enough. (laughs) All right. Well. I'll 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 think of it later and I'll write you a blog post about it. There we go. I'll make sure to link it in the footnotes. I kind of sprung that on you. Ah, that's on me unfortunately there's no there's no visual component to this so people won't get to see the face i made when you (laughs) imagine a muppet (laughs) it was disturbingly muppet like it's true but you could say that about amanda in general it's this is true oh so uh amanda we've had many fun times playing role-playing games together yes uh specifically we played some tiny supers there was our a wildly interesting tiny dungeon campaign. Oh my gosh. I have sort of still repressing actively. Um, that thing went so off the rails. It was when it was good, it was real so good. Hard. When it was good, it was real yes. good. And and the party was just bound and determined to make it not good. <laughs> yes. But you know, we we've known each other for close to a decade now. We've right? worked together, we played games together. Um, I appreciate you coming on and chatting with me about art and games and the art of game design and the game design in art, I suppose, yep. to be poorly poetic about it. Again, I'm a writer, folks. This is what you get. <laughs> um, do you have any questions you would like to ask me? Uh, oh, gosh. I mean, all the time. Yes. But I usually just pester you with them when they come That's to true. me. Do you have any that uh, would be beneficial <laughs> to our listeners, maybe? um no 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 my brain's doing the thing again yep, sorry that's fine that's not, i understand i'm not i'm not helpful in that way it's okay <laughs> I, I can answer a direct question and then go off for like a 12 minute rant i'm not good at well, uh open-ended who, questions <laughs> who are some of the artists who were most influential on you oh okay just that, quick bullet list that one i can do um edward gory uh oh, joe good choice yes joe maguera uh was very influential in the comic side of things mm-hmm. uh also uh james obar oh i just reread the crow like it's a weekend ago so good i had forgot how he uh, is, unrelentingly itself it is yes he is also one of the people that i've met in person who was surprisingly thankfully incredibly kind and generous and just super oh, nice that's wonderful so, yeah he was great and what are some of the biggest game influences on you and how you like your role-playing games oh okay um so i all of course obviously i like met most pretty much everyone else got into games with dungeons and dragons because that's what you do pretty common that's pretty common uh i also was a larper <laughs> For okay. a long time. <laughs> oh, that's fun. Well, any particular kind of LARP? Uh, I played a lot of Cthulhu live LARPs, but my f- my friends also had just like a homebrew 
LARP system. And I think the thing that was the most influential as far as that goes is that it really allowed me to just embrace the inherent silliness of the fact that we are just playing pretend. Sure. And to not to not let uh, any kind of amount of self-seriousness get in the way of enjoying sure. the experience we're collectively having here. That makes sense. Yeah. Well, that's really interesting. I uh, <laughs> I did not know you LARPed. That's... <laughs> I LARPed so much in college and immediately afterwards. <laughs> I have only, I could count on one hand the number of times I've been involved in a LARP, so. Oh, yeah. Well, we did, and we did a lot of like a very, uh, I guess you could call it like Nordic style LARPs where it was. Very freeform, rules very light. freeform, rules light, and also very props minimal. Like we would, sure. for some of the Cthulhu LARPs, we would spring on you know, making one really good monster prop or like a, a handful okay. of like, you know, fake wounds or whatever. But mm -hmm. most of the time we really didn't do like the heavy fantasy garb and weapons and stuff. Cause sure. that was just more than we had the time or resources for. So sure. college students are known for rolling in it. So that makes sense. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, one last question. Do you listen to music while you draw? Yes. I lyrics or no lyrics? Uh, so when I'm drawing lyrics, when okay. I'm writing, it has to be instrumental. Sure. Okay. Interesting. Well, uh, Amanda, I want to thank you for coming on, for answering my questions, and for being such an engaging guest to speak about art and game design with. Well, thank really you appreciate so much. You. I've, I've had a great time. Good. Uh, if folks want to find you and your work online, what are some of the best places? Um, so you can find uh, Age of Night at ageofnight.com, which, like I said earlier, is with the just an N, no no K. Um, you can also find me on the various social medias, usually as either at Age of Night or at Amanda Call Art, which is just my name with the word art after it. And Call is K-A-H-L. That is correct. Okay. The, the tricky German spelling. Sorry. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, and I believe your print collections of Age of Night are available both on Amazon and Drive Through Comics and Drive Through RPG. They sure are. They're also available on Skirmisher's site too. Oh, so excellent! You've, you've got a few different options there. Excellent. I've I've read all of Age of Night. I've got all the volumes. At least I did at one point. I think I only is there a fifth one? Because I have one through four. No, no, you have one through three. I'm working on four right now. Okay, then I have one through three. I thought I have. Yeah. Three. I have three. I've read <laughs> all the ones I have. Right. Uh, I enjoy it very much, folks. I, I give it a wonderful uh, diversionary recommendation. It's great to read on a rainy weekend. Oh, thank so, you. Which for me is the highest praise because that's the best time to read. So, uh, Amanda, thank you. Yeah, thank you so much for having and me. And folks, I am Alan Barr, and this has been Radio Free RPG.